Another day alive. Wake up, your heart is beating. You know that God has a special purpose for you here on earth. I think every true believer in Christ, every true follower, longs to be used of God in some significant way, to break free from insignificant things that grab the attention and enter into the abundant life that Jesus speaks of. But how does that happen? What does it look like? Well, today, as we wrap up Jesus' kingdom parables in Matthew 13, we will see the answer in Jesus' unexpected words to his disciples. So open your Bibles to Matthew 13. Stand with me to read God's word. We're going to read two verses, verses 51 and 52. We have looked so far at eight parables of the kingdom. Well, excuse me, seven. Seven down, one to go. This is the eighth. And before us is the last of eight parables regarding Christ's rule in the lives of all those who believe and are saved. So let's read Matthew 13, beginning at verse 51. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Let's pray. Lord God, as we look at your word now, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in it. Lord, we need you desperately. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit, through your word, you would change us into the people that you intend for us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, verses 51 and 52, compares a scribe trained for the kingdom of heaven to a homeowner with valuable treasures, new and old. What does this mean? What is this pointing to? Now, there are many interpretations of this very short parable, and among the more plausible are these. First, that this is pointing to actual Jewish scribes who became believers, became disciples of Christ. Another view is that Matthew is speaking of himself and his part in the Christian community. Or others see it as a new class of Christian scribes that have been developed, a new class of Christian teachers of the law. Some say this points to the disciples themselves who understood Jesus' teaching. Others say it's any gifted disciple who becomes or wants to become a teacher, who aspires to be a teacher. And others say that this points to every true believer, all disciples of Jesus, equipped by him to do his work. So first, here's what we need to do to, to get a grasp of what, what the meaning is, is to take a look at the parable itself in depth and, and look at the de- different details so that we can discern the meaning. So let's look at verse 51. What Jesus is doing here is he is concluding his sermon on the kingdom and he begins the ending with a question to his disciples. He asks them a pointed question. Have you understood all these things? 
What things? The things he's just spoken. All the parables that he has, he has given to them. So he asks them a very, a very straightforward question. Have, did you get it? And they give Jesus a simple, honest, straightforward answer. Yes! We get it. We understand. Which I know sounds a little bit strange to us because most people wouldn't say they understand all the parables of the kingdom. Most people would say, I, I still don't get it. Can I, can I have a little more explanation? But they say yes. Now this doesn't mean that they understood perfectly. Nor does it mean that they, that they didn't understand at all. Their understanding, Jesus challenges two chapters later in chapter 15 and verse 16. He says, are you still without understanding? Because they're asking for, for more info. This doesn't mean they didn't need Jesus' Uh, interpretation anymore they needed it all the more but they got what he was saying they got enough and and i think more importantly they believed what they understood what they got they believed and they were ready to act upon it jesus had told them that it was granted to them to know the mysteries of the kingdom their understanding was neither perfect nor was it missing it was adequate enough for Jesus to say nothing of their answer and to keep going. Yes? Good. And it's as if Jesus says, okay then, one last thing before we wrap this up. One big new detail about your role in all of this. He's been talking all about his kingdom and now he addresses them and really speaks about them and Jesus makes a, a declaration here in America tomorrow is Independence Day July 4th we celebrate the fact that we broke free as a country in the Christian life we break free from sin Jesus frees us from sin but never ought we to break free from God but Jesus makes a declaration of our dependence upon him. Jesus' reply is a, a statement, and he says this, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household, who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Right away, you see three components to this parable. There are the scribe who becomes a disciple, there is the head of the household, and there are the new and old things that are brought forth from his treasury. The master of the house has a treasury, and he brings forth out of it things that are both new and old. Jesus says, um, therefore. You've always got to ask, what's that therefore? And Jesus is basing the therefore on their answer. Okay, so you understand. Here's what you need to know. Every scribe, he says. A scribe basically copied and taught the law. They didn't just write things down. They were considered experts in the Old Testament scriptures. They were the Bible teachers of their day. They, they were trusted, they were, they were obeyed, they, they were held usually in high esteem by those who followed them. 
So they were not only the copiers, but they were the explainers. They were the expositors of the Word of God. They held and handled the God-given treasure of the Word of God. And Jesus says that every scribe trained for the kingdom who, who has become a disciple of the kingdom. So now there's a distinction. He's not speaking of Jewish scribes. He's speaking of a scribe who follows Jesus, who has been taught in the school of Jesus. A disciple, a student, an apprentice, under the leadership of the teacher, Jesus. The verb in verse 52 literally means disciple to. Back in those days, Torah trained teachers of the law studied under great rabbis. But disciples of the kingdom have studied under and been taught by the teacher, the great teacher, Jesus Christ himself. In chapter 27, verse 57, we see that Joseph of Arimathea, whose grave, who's, uh, who was um, attached to the cross uh, situation there. Um, I'm blanking out right now. Was it the... Was it the grave or did he carry it? I, what did he do? I'm testing you here. What did Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea? Gave up his grave for Jesus. And he is spoken of as disciple to Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus. He was disciple to him. In chapter 28, verse 20, the Great Commission, we are instructed to go and make disciples of all the nations, literally to disciple people to Jesus. And Jesus says, that scribe that's been trained for the kingdom is like a, a owner of a house. And, and an owner of a house in this situation dispensed wealth in some way. And here he is bringing out of his storeroom, his treasure, literally the word thesaurus, new things and old. And, he, and he's not doing so to, to brag on his riches. He's not doing so to show off his wealth but for a purpose, a, a useful purpose. We've got to see what disciple refers to here. If you look through chapter 13, what you see is that disciple refers to the 12 primarily. But the 12 here epitomize the church to come. That Jesus is basically referring to not a select group of teachers, but all believers who were called Christians by Matthew's day. And and. It would include us as well. Aligned with the prophets and righteous men of, of old and also now to teachers of the law. But here's the idea that only Jesus' disciples can bring forth treasures new and old. Jewish scribes could only bring forth old. But what is the point of this parable? Well, the point of this parable, what it's pointing to is that disciples of Christ are first to know him in salvation. They become a disciple of the kingdom and then they make him known in service. They, they bring out from the treasure things new and old. First, equipped by Jesus in, in terms of salvation. Second, engaged in serving him in, in the process of sanctification. Ministering the treasures as, as they receive, they are to give. And as Jesus said, freely you have received, freely you are to give. And so Jesus uses a very familiar term, though it was 
got to have been startling to them. Scribe. Scribe. Most of the time, that term was used negatively of those who would abuse their power. Used negatively a lot in the Gospels because they had become the spiritual bullies of their time. Using their power to get what they wanted rather than give people what God wanted them to have. But this is not about Jewish scribes becoming Christians. This is about anyone who becomes a Christian being a scribe in the truest sense. Now I'm going to venture to guess that you've never once thought of yourself as a scribe. Unless of course you take notes at meetings or something like that. Jesus uses this term, scribe. Scribe in the truest sense. When you understand what Jesus is teaching you, you acknowledge your role as a scribe. A scribe. Every Christian is to be a scribe for Jesus. That'll make a good bumper sticker. Actually, it won't. They won't sell many. People won't know what it, ta- what it means. Every Christian is to be a scribe for Jesus, fully trained on the path of sanctification, fully engaged in serving Him. And what the parable points out is their responsibility in this new position. In this position of of scribes in the truest sense. Equipped and engaged disciples possess God-given life and share God-inspired truth so that others may believe and be saved and then do likewise. Disciples make disciples. So let's look at the equipped disciple and the engaged disciple. We'll we'll split them out here as it begins with the person who becomes the disciple of the kingdom. The equipped disciple possesses God-given eternal life. What does that equipped disciple do? Well, first and foremost, that disciple hears the word of God. Here's the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. They are mercifully saved by grace. For by grace they have been saved through faith and not of themselves. They know it clearly. They've heard the word. And, and just like the sower speaks of, of the seed that goes into the good soil. They, they hear the word and then they understand the word. They understand the word. They receive it as the word of God, not as the word of man. They're in the process of growing strong in faith. As the, spirit, as the sower said, they hear the word, they understand it. And then they bear fruit. They bear fruit by the spirit. They're sincerely serving the Lord. In everything they do, they work as unto the Lord. So they hear the word, they understand it, they bear fruit as a result. Jerome said that ignorance of the word of Christ is ignorance of Christ. Ignorance of the word of God is ignorance of Christ. There are many people who don't know the word of God, so they don't know the true Jesus. So they get tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine because they don't know the biblical portrait of Jesus Christ. Ignorance of the word is ignorance of Christ. You can't obey what you do not know. That's why we are to dig deep into the word to be unashamed workmen. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You've got to know the word of truth. The equipped disciple hears the word, understands the word, and bears fruit by the spirit. And it's not just for themselves. 
So many times we're focused so much on our life, our spiritual life. Oh, I need to do this. Oh, I need to do that. Oh, I, God's working at this in my life and that in my life. And, and there's, some, there's some reason to be able to, to think that because other people aren't thinking about that, about your life. But we get fixated on that to the, to the, to the extent that we forget why we've been saved. It's not just for ourselves. Matthew Henry said this, lay up treasures in order to lay them out for the benefit of others. We're saved to serve God. And so Jesus says this this scribe who's become a disciple of the kingdom brings out of his treasure. This treasure has been entrusted to him by God. It's a stewardship. His by virtue of, of grace, not merit. And he brings out from that treasure things new and old. The true disciple knows how to draw spiritual truths from the parables properly. To balance the new teachings of Christ with the fulfilled promise of the kingdom. To understand how Jesus perfectly fulfills the law and the prophets. John MacArthur said the disciples were not to reject the old for the sake of the new. The new insights received and gleaned from Jesus' parables were to be understood in light of the old truths and vice versa. Augustine said, God, the inspirer and author of both testaments, wisely arranged that the New Testament be hidden in the old and the old be made manifest in the new. The idea that the new doesn't displace the old but accompanies it. So the equipped disciple hears the word and understands the word and bears fruit by the Spirit. But see, it's not enough to be equipped, to be saved. And, and know it, one must be engaged in ongoing service because God intends for both to be happening at the same time. Many believers are sitting on the sidelines, dressed and able but not in the game due to things like fear and insecurity and ignorance and laziness and maybe even injury. But you need to use the tools that God has given you in service. Fan into flame the gift of God within you. A guard through the Holy Spirit who indwells you. The good deposit that's been entrusted to you. Not to keep for yourself, but keep it safe while you give it out. The equipped disciple possesses God-given eternal life and fruit is being born. It, it dovetails beautifully with the engaged disciple. It's almost imperceptible, the, the, the connection between the two. The engaged disciple shares God-inspired truth. And, and in that context, he coexists in the world among saved and unsaved. Not like the Jewish scribes who held themselves aloof from others. You know, Jesus always goes beyond expectations. We've seen this again and again in these parables of the kingdom. There's an expectation that, that in that day, here is what the kingdom is going to be like. And then Jesus comes and, and smashes that expectation to bits goes in a completely different direction. See, in those days, the Messiah was expected to turn all nations to himself. But actually, via the parable of the sower, we saw that many do not respond favorably. In fact, most do not respond favorably to the word's invitation. It was expected in those days that the kingdom's righteous citizens would rule over the present world right away with the king. But actually, via 
the, the parable of the wheat and the weeds, we see that the, the kingdom citizens would, would live among the people of the world together until God's harvest in the future. That there would be a waiting period. John Calvin wrote that his, his work, Christ's work in teaching them, was not only aimed at making them wise for themselves, but that they might impart to others what had been deposited to them. They would have the blessed hope of of heaven through being born again to salvation. But they would also be ready always to give an answer for the hope that's within them with gentleness and reverence. But they coexist. The, The engaged disciple coexists in the world among saved and unsaved. Not isolating themselves from either group but redemptively interacting within the culture that God places them. The second thing they do as they do that is they counter the culture. They influence others with the gospel for the common good. Not like the Jewish scribes who crush people with unfair expectations. Back in those days, people expected the kingdom of God to come in glory immediately. To begin with majestic glory But actually, via the mustard seed parable, we see the kingdom begins in relative obscurity, in insignificance, and grows. We saw the micro to mega nature of the kingdom some weeks back. See, the way of Jesus is always countercultural. It it keeps people guessing because it's counterintuitive. Think about the church. There are people in the church who have become friends that would be enemies outside the church if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. That God brings friends together in the church who would be mortal enemies outside of it. God's true scribes freely worship Him alone and then help others to do the same. Unless you think that that means you'll be going somewhere today that you haven't been this week, Frederick Dale Bruner says this, everyone who follows Jesus is commissioned to teach others. Now some of you are already fearful. What does that mean? Well he says, you're commissioned to teach others even if it's in your own family and devotions and readings or your office in Bible and other studies. Where has God called you? Teach the word of God there. You're a homemaker, one of the highest callings imaginable, and and God has blessed you with kids. You've got kids that God has given you to to teach. He's commissioned you to do so. You're working in in an environment that's even hostile to the gospel, and, and you've got to be careful, but you've also got to be wise and discerning for those openings as God gives those opportunities to speak the word of God, to speak the truth, to live the gospel and to share the gospel with those who have yet to receive it. We are to know Jesus and then make him known. We are taught by Jesus to teach others as a scribe in the truest sense. I know you've never thought of yourself as a scribe before, but I hope you're starting to, to see yourself in that way as Jesus is pointing this out. And by the way, it was a, it was a, con- a concentrated effort. 
It always is concentrated. You concentrate your life in, in a few areas. You go deep with a few. And it's concentric. It starts at home base. But see here that it was commissioned. It, the permission's been granted. I've got a fishing license. You know what that means? That means I can go anywhere in the state of California that it's legal to fish and fish. If you don't have one, you can't legally. You got a driver's license. That means you can get in an automobile in California, if you have a California driver's license, and drive on the roads in a car or a truck or a motorcycle or what have you. There's permission. And sometimes I remember when I was a kid, I was always I was a little bit shy and I would say, Hey, mom, dad, can I have some uh, ice cream? You know, they're like, You're part of the family. It's in the fr- in, in the freezer. Go ahead. I, one of my kids is like that as well. It's like, can I have such and such? I'm like, it's there for you. I appreciate the thought, but go for it. Yeah. Now, if they start overdoing it, I'll put a lock on the door. But it's, it's <laughs> the permission's already been granted by virtue of being in the family. God's already commissioned us. We are to make much of God to many people. Number three, that engaged disciple, that, that engaged scribe, chooses willingly to sacrifice in light of kingdom priorities, unlike Jewish scribes who fended for themselves. Choose willingly to sacrifice in light of kingdom priorities. And now you're already thinking, oh, now I've got to give something up. I've got to go where I don't want to go, and I've got to give something up. Not so quick. Think about all the expectations that were going to be happening. That people thought, this is how it's going to be when Messiah comes. It was expected that the kingdom of God would bring all valued things to man. The riches poured upon them. The parable of a hidden treasure and costly pearl show that the actual kingdom demands abandonment of all other values to get that priceless value. Many expected the kingdom of heaven to begin with the immediate separation of the good and the evil. But we saw in the parable of the net, the dragnet, that actually the kingdom brings separation of the unrighteous from the righteous at the end. See, Jesus consistently gave surprising conclusions contrary to human reason. So when you see something that says, choose to willingly sacrifice, you're already thinking of the thing you don't want to give up. But maybe that's not the thing that God wants you to give up. We've looked at uh, now eight parables. The parables of the kingdom. They've showed us something. They've showed us something very significant. Much like the Sermon on the Mount did. These parables of the kingdom are showing us what life in Christ is like. How it's going to be. It's setting the parameters for us so we don't get surprised. It also illustrates something for us that's very significant. It illustrates for us what we, what it means when we pray, as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. The sower taught us about responses it's like us praying your word be understood Lord 
May people understand your word when it goes out. The seeds taught us about coexistence with, with believers and unbelievers. And where we pray and your will be done, Lord. Your, your will be done in these interactions and relationships. The mustard seed taught us about growth. And the leaven about influence. And it's like we're praying, your, 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 your work be accomplished, Lord in your timing and in your way. The hidden treasure taught us about discovery and the costly pearl about commitment. And It's like we're praying, Lord, your, may your worth be evident. May your glory be acknowledged. And the net taught us about sovereignty. That we're praying, Lord, may your warnings be heeded. May the reality of, of hell be a warning that does stop people in their tracks and cause them to reevaluate their life. And now this, this parable of the, what do you want to call it? The scribe, the, the head of the household. It, it teaches us about ministry, about service. It's, it's like we're praying as we pray, your kingdom come. We're also praying, your workers go. Your workers go in all directions. Fully engaged servant of Christ doing what he's called to do moment by moment. It's the picture of the gospel being lived and, and, and known and, and, and sought and cherished and obeyed and, and then shared. Mike Wilkerson said, God created you to broadcast him. To broadcast him. And as you do, you're going to realize something unsettling. That the way of Jesus redefines reality and it leads us to take paths that most would not take and many misunderstand it's interesting that we often think of sacrificing in terms of giving up the good things we enjoy but maybe it's more about giving up the bad things you're trapped by that you can't shake loose of that you're entangled by. A habit, an addiction, a, a, some sin that just is besetting. It, 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 it just hangs on. Maybe it's your need to feel more powerful than other people. Revenge, entitlement, expectations, or just fleshly ways of reacting and relating. See, the way of Jesus is contrary to sinful tendencies of, of, of legalism and license. I, I, I like to picture living in the world like, like walking on, along the, the peak of a roof. And it's, it's, a, it's like a tightrope. Because you, you go a little bit this way and you're going to, to legalism. And you go a little bit the other way and you're going to license. You're either going to be too easy or too hard on yourself. And both are ways that we try to be our own Savior and our own Lord. But Jesus offers another way. One that is counterintuitive to the way we think, but it is perfect. See, equipped and engaged disciples, the new scribes, the new scribes possess God-given life and share God-inspired truth so that others may believe, be saved, and do likewise. 
I love this because this is really what, what Jesus was getting at already and, and told us in other ways in the Sermon on the Mount. Go back with me in, in, to the Sermon on the Mount. About a third of the way in, chapter 5. Verse 38. Jesus said some things. And I, let me just say this. It's very easy to un- misunderstand the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I know you're saying, well, hey, we're talking about parables here. Stick, stick to parables. Oh, we're going to look a little bit at the Sermon on the Mount. It's very easy to misunderstand it as, as some moral or, or ethical code that we must live by to be right with God. What Jesus gave was a description of who we, would be, who we would become as we follow him. Who the Spirit would make us into as we abide in Christ. It's not the idea of trying to be accepted by him and earn his love. But it's this idea that because he loves me and accepts me in Christ, I want to please him more than anything. What I am seeing more and more clearly as we go further and further into Matthew's gospel is that Jesus is saying don't copy the world and don't copy the culture and don't even copy the, the maybe even the Christian subculture mere echoes of reality but imitate me copy me I define reality it's like the three examples Jesus gave right here verse 38 he says you, you have heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. How apropos for me this week. I, I, I just got a root canal on Friday. I hardly recommend it. Basically, it's just like I always heard. You don't want to go there. But an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You see, they heard that before. You know where they heard that? Deuteronomy 21. God gave it to them in order to hold revenge in check. This wasn't the punitive revenge that people, ah, I'm going to get you now. You gouged out my eye. I'm coming after yours. God was telling them not to go beyond what is reasonable and setting things right. As they obeyed, God's justice would be put on display before the world. You see, due to man's sin, any slight offense might escalate and out of, out of proportion to the offense. Killing over small things. And God says, don't practice harsh revenge, but, but merciful justice. So God, Jesus always offers another way. Jesus said, I tell you, don't resist the one who is evil. Turn the other cheek. Someone would take revenge on you. They would try to show themselves more, more powerful than you. And they would slap you on the cheek. It would be the right one. It would actually be backhanded. It was, a, it was an insult. And they would say, in effect, I am better than you. So what do you do? Haul off and hit him back? No. No. Off from the left cheek. Which they would hit with the forehand, the slap of an equal. Hit me again and realize we are equals in the sight of God. Jesus offers another way. He says, but I say to you, someone wants to sue you and and take your outer garment, give them your inner garment too. 
They want to humiliate you by, by showing your nakedness. Well, show all of it. Show them your impoverished state. Jesus offers another way. Someone wants to make you walk a mile? In those days, Roman soldiers could force anyone at any time to carry their gear one mile. Jesus says, keep going another mile. illustrates that self-giving love willing to sacrifice rather than gratify self so unlike the scribes of their day these were the new scribes we are the new breed of of scribes in the truest sense not puffed up and arrogant but humble and lowly see the way of jesus leads us to take paths most wouldn't take a path like those of hebrews 11 And I just read a book uh, entitled Cain's Redemption. A book about a man named Burl Cain. He's the warden at the Louisiana State Penitentiary, also known as Angola. It was once called the bloodiest prison in America. But huge reforms have taken place over the last 20-so years of his, of his time there, and especially under his leadership. He, he is a committed Christian who administers both justice and, and mercy. He holds the hands of men as they go to their final judgment. He encourages men without hope to seek Christ. He encourages men with a dead end, with a life sentence, sentenced to death, and he gives them hope beyond this life. He says our greatest challenge is to give hope where there is hopelessness. In a world lacking hope, we offer hope that is an anchor for the soul. I heard a story about a man whose son was killed by a man sentenced to life at Angola. And he wanted to visit the man that killed his son. And they didn't want him to do it. They, they frown upon those types of visits. They usually say, no, nah, I don't think you might, I don't know if you want to do that. And the family doesn't always want to extend forgiveness, nor does the perpetrator want to apologize. But they gave permission to this man. He said, I just want to look him in the eye, and I just want to, I want to speak with him. And so he, he went in, and, and he sat across from the prisoner, and he, he looked him in the eye, and he, he said, I forgive you. I forgive you. And I am going to come back every week until I get to know you. And he did this for years. And then he did the unthinkable for most. He and his family adopted the man who ended their son's life. The man substituted his son for the killer. In an act of much larger proportions, God did the same thing at the cross. Jesus was the victim. Backhanded repeatedly, he turned the other cheek. They took his garments, they stripped him of everything but love. A horrible weight put upon his shoulders. He walked a second mile to the cross. And he made the cross an ugly representation of man's sin a beautiful thing. 
a thing of beauty through his blood. And so the greatest display of human sin led to the greatest display of love the world has ever seen. And as a result, God adopts the killers of his son. Makes them disciples. Commissions them as scribes who are not only saved, but also sent to serve others. It raises two questions for me. First of all, did Christ's first followers get all that? And second, this far down the road, do we? Answer to number one. Look in the book of Acts. Answer to number two. Look in the mirror. Have you answered God's call to holy scribehood? Have you come to him for salvation? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then you have you embraced that calling that comes upon every disciple of the kingdom? Are you actively engaged in serving him? Let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you for grace that gives us what we don't deserve. We thank you for mercy that holds back what we do deserve. And we thank you, Lord, that all that you have made disciples of your kingdom are to share and to spread what they have been given. That we know we're not to withhold it in order to give us a position of power over people, but we are to distribute it that that they too might understand kingdom truth. Lord, may, may this be our manifesto that we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is your power for salvation to everyone who believes because your righteousness is revealed in it from faith to faith. As you say, the righteous shall live by faith. Lord, may it be so. Amen.